Hey, good morning, church. It is good to do church with you today. We're in a series on Advent today, and as uh, you heard the saying, as you heard the readings today, last week we covered love. This week we're looking at the theme of theme of very good. The theme of peace. And so you heard already the traditional Christmas scripture. They just read it. I'm going to read the very last, uh, um, just two, verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. And there's one other that comes to us in this time, this season, this Christmas season that comes to mind when we think of peace. It's Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I don't know what you think of when you think of Advent. I wonder how many of us, when we think of Advent, think of this. Mediocre chocolate. That's really what this is, right? Mediocre chocolate that my kids are very, very, very excited about and are using to count down the days till Christmas. Uh, does anybody want some mediocre chocolate? If you come up to the stage right now, I'll give it to you. First person. Yep. Anybody? There we go, Luke. There you go. All right. Oh, mediocre chocolate broken. We're in a series on Advent right now. It's this idea of waiting and wondering. This idea of anticipating the coming of Christ. And you know what? We're in a good moment for this. We're in a really, really good moment for this. Before Jesus came, the Israelites, did you know, actually let me back up a little bit farther than that. At the moment that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, our flesh became at war with God's spirit. When sin entered the world, we entered a war. Every day we battle our desires and the things we want to do versus what the Spirit is calling us to do. Every day we enter into this spiritual battle where we're frustrated and working towards being the person that God's called us to be, destined us to be, and the sinful nature of the body that we're born into. Every day we have that flesh battle. Romans 8, 7 through 8 says it this way, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We are in a spiritual war. Do you know that pre-Jesus, God's favor was hard sought after and easy to lose? You'd have to go through rigorous law-keeping. You'd have to go through ritualistic cleansing and sacrificial systems. And you'd have to go and find God's presence. It dwelled in the temple. It dwelled in the tabernacle. You'd have to go find priests. You'd find prophets. Find God's presence and go and figure out what God is saying to you. Even to the point where they had household priests. Will you come and be my household priest and tell me what the Lord's saying? Will you go to God and tell me what God's saying? The people of Israel sent Moses up the mountain to enter into God's presence and to say, what is he saying? Come back and tell me. And so for thousands of years, the Jews were waiting and wondering, what will the Messiah be? Who will he be? How will I enter back into full relationship with God? And so we celebrate Advent. 
And so we're in a moment right now where we don't anticipate the coming of Christ, but the second coming of Christ. We live in a moment where we have inherited relationship, where we have access to the Father right here, right now. And so when I read Romans or Luke chapter 2, verse 14, I think upon this verse, this was a big moment. This was a big deal to the, God's people. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. God is announcing his favor is available to all mankind. God is announcing that finally, after thousands of years of war with the flesh and the spirit, with ritualistic sacrifice, with laws and covenant, that he has come and the answer is here. The Messiah has come and you now have the ability to have everlasting peace, God's peace with him. The answer is here. His name is Jesus Christ. I love the Bible. I love this idea is that the Bible is just this one long book, books upon books and chapters on chapters and verse after verse of a redemption salvation story. Again and again and again, you get wayward people and then God sends an answer. And he shows up in people he shows up in prophets. He shows up in heroes. He shows up in battles and wars. But again and again and again, we get a God who shows up and restores a bridge back into relationship with him. Again and again and again, we get history that tells us that people have a wayward and wandering heart. That we're easily distracted and pulled aside. And when God could have had a moment where he could have just washed his hands said, I'm done with this model, let's do on to the next one and start over. Instead, he sent Jesus Christ to restore peace with us and God. And so the moment that was broken with Adam and Eve has now been restored with Jesus in the form of a baby who eventually grew up and to be a bridge back to God. And so we can go back to Roman, or Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to, whom those with, with, to those with whom God is pleased. God is pleased with you. God's pleased with me. We now have God's full pleasure here. And we have the peace of God available to us. Through Jesus, the last sacrifice was done. We don't have to continually sacrifice again and again and again and cleanse ourselves before we go and encounter a holy God. Because God starts looking at us through the lens of Jesus, saying once is enough, it's done. But it's so easy to fall into that mindset of saying, am I actually saved? Am I actually right with God? Is God actually angry with me? Do I experience God's wrath? Am I actually, am I, am I actually in God's favor? We start to feel this inner turmoil. But an advent, the second candle, which is peace, we remind ourselves to slow down. And we don't have to wait, and we don't have to wonder, but we are living in this moment of peace and reconciliation back to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. We are living in a promise right now. You are living in the answer of peace with God. Just for a second, I'm going to be quiet and just let that sink in. 
imagine yourself at animosity, at opposition with God, and now you're in a moment where you have peace with God. This isn't like a sibling rivalry over the last Christmas cookie. This is animosity with God. And now through Jesus, we have peace with God. Just sit and for just a second and reflect on what that it feels like. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That justification is a new legal status. All of a sudden, we're now able to stand in God's presence. Instead of going to the temple, we have become the temple of God in which his spirit dwells. Instead of having to pilgrimage and go and to seek out God's presence, you now have a holy living presence everywhere we go. And with that, we have the peace of God everywhere we go. You have access to the peace of God every moment of our life. You know, um, the, the word, the Hebrew word for peace, I bet you probably know it. Do you know it? Shalom. Shalom. And when we translate shalom into English, and this has like gotten pretty deep in our culture. Guys, do we have that picture up? I'm hoping we do. It's gotten so deep, it's even gotten to Etsy, okay? And it's like a door rug, and it's like, shalom, y'all. Like, it's gone real deep. It's gotten real deep. Maybe we don't have it. That's okay. Go and Google Etsy. If you haven't finished up your Christmas shopping, go buy your favorite friend a shalom rug. They'll love it. But shalom is deep in our vocabulary now, even as Midwestern Americans. And we translate it pretty much as peace in the Middle East, okay? Like, shalom, like, no war, no conflict, no tension, but the Hebrew version of shalom means a little bit more to that. And I like this quote by Robin Baslin, and she says, Shalom is the ideal for our individual lives and for that of God's creation at large. It's a return to God's original creation before it was marred by human sin. Strong's Dictionary says that shalom is generally, or sorry, sorry, shalom uh, is translated as this idea of peace, wholeness, and completeness. So in the context of Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is well pleased. It's not shalom, just peace, no longer having frustration and anger. It is shalom. We now have a restoration back to the original creation. I saw a bunch of you like stop looking at me and start looking at the screen, and I saw Susan Kennedy starting to laugh a little bit. So we found it. Shalom, y'all. I think that one comes with the sandals. So if you hurry up and get on that and use code Pastor Josh, I think you get, you know, thanks. <laughs> Shalom, completeness and wholeness and peace with God. Back to original creation, back to the start where there was not a separation or a wall between us of sin with God. We now have an opportunity to go back to how God started things off in this world, which was intimacy and relationship unbarred between man and God. You have opportunity for shalom, for peace with your soul.
Romans 8 and 9 through 11 continues. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in, fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We are now the temples of God. And God's spirit can come, and at the moment of salvation, God breathes life into a dead spirit and dwells in us. We now have the spirit of God, creator God, inside of us. Shalom, completeness, wholeness, full health, back to the garden, back to this idea of peace with God instead of animosity between God and man. And so powerful is this that a whole multitude and whole multitude army of angels show up to proclaim it. That only happens a very, very few, I think it's two times in the Bible where a host of angels shows up to declare that God and man now have peace. Yet I wonder if we were to take a poll of this room right now how many of us would say, this is not a season of peace, this is a season of anxiety? Did I get the right present for mom, or will she just return it again? Did that present, is it actually going to come in, or is it delayed yet again? Is this uncle or aunt going to show up at the family gathering, and will they bring up politics? How will I be able to get my whole schedule and make all these parties and still have margin to be a Christian at the end of this season? I wonder how many of us are just racked with anxiety or worry or stress in the season. And as much as we love Christmas, there's usually a couple sides of people that are ultra in love with Christmas, like my wife, who listens to Christmas music literally all year long. No, 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 no. That's a deep sin that I'm asking her to confess later. And then you have students that have already told me, I can't wait for this season to be over. I cannot take the tension in my family right now. I can't wait till school starts again. And I don't think that's an uncommon thing. It's easy to instead be at a place of peace, to feel the worry and to feel the guilt, to feel shame, to feel anxiety welling up in us and take control of our thoughts. Did you know that anxiety is the most common mental illness in the U.S.? It affects over 40 million people. It's about 19% of the U.S. population. That means it's almost as high as if you were to look in front of you, and behind you, and to the left and to the right of you right now. One of you statistically would be diagnosed with anxiety. And not, we all feel anxiety, but diagnosed as a crippling, life-affecting mental illness. It's a plague in our nation right now. I like how Arthur Roach says that. He says, few of us are strangers to anxiety. It creeps in over big and little things, gnawing away at our insides. Someone graphically described anxiety as a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Anxiety disorder is characterized by persistent worry, fear, 
and stress that interferes with one's everyday life. But you know what? I believe that anxiety is an emotional response. Emotions are not bad. We all feel emotions. We serve an emotional God. And anxiety is a response to fear. And fear isn't an emotion. We will all experience fear at some point in our life. Last night, I went downstairs. Not last night. A couple nights ago. This week sometime. I went open our basement door and was about to walk down the stairs. And I saw a bat flying through my basement. And I'll tell you that I've never been so scared in my whole life as seeing a bat fly through my six and a half foot tall basement from floor to ceiling. And when I called animal control about coming and getting it out, they said, well, call us when it's swooping around because we're not gonna look for it. Um, they could be hiding in too many places. So we've been looking for it, and it's not showed its head in about over a week now. And so that means we just have to live in constant fear of a bat in the house. It's becoming part of the family at this point. I think squatting rules are probably going to start applying here. The only positive thing about having a bat in the basement is that I, I, I now have a very, very, very good and valid excuse for not working out. Because all of the equipment is down in the basement. So it's... Sorry, honey, just pass the pie. <laughs> We're just going to eat ourselves out of this thing. So anxiety is an emotional response. And so we all feel fear. But very often, and I don't have statistics on this, but just from my time as doing pastoral counseling and my own experience myself, anxiety often feels like fear, not over the current circumstances, but of the unknown and unseen future. If I do this, what if they respond like this? And then that happens, and then this happens, and I'm dead. It always seems like it just ends with the worst possible case scenario thing. But also anxiety also feels like it's unknown, unseen fear about the future, and so much of it often never comes about to actually pass. But yet, if you've ever dealt with anxiety, if you've ever worked through anxiety, then you know it can be crippling. If you've ever been watching the clock at 12, 1, 2, 3 a.m., and you've sat there and your mind will not stop working, you know that anxiety can just overtake you and start to control you. When we let fear start running the show, it can start manipulating us, and it can start coming out in us and mutating. It comes out as control. It comes out as abuse. It comes out as anger. It comes out as excessive worry, which is anxiety. And it can be crippling. I don't have to take a poll to know that there are people in this church that walk through this have walked through this and are walking through this issue right now. So today, there's a lot of ways we could go with peace. Sydney even brought up one. If you go to Philippians 4, there's a classic chapter right there on peace, about using thanksgiving as a weapon to ensure God's peace in your life. If you go to Matthew, I think it's 5 or 6, you hear God's working about 
peace in our lives and not worrying because he provides for the, he provides for the animals and he provides for the field. So why should we worry? Because he cares so much more about us. But today, I really want to focus in and felt a change and a shift is that I want to focus in on the idea of fear and how fear relates to our response. How fear relates and how it comes out as either anxiety and how we can encounter God in that moment instead of letting our mind take control of us. So to do that, we need to turn to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going to read the whole story, then we're going to come back. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says this, immediately after this, and immediately as Jesus just fed 5,000 people, so just major miracle, days of teaching. Immediately after this, Jesus insists, insisted that his disciples get back into the boat, cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. But about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached down and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. We pause there. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to in this is verse 22. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake. If it were you, and you're talking to all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful Jesus... Wouldn't you be a little bit offended when it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you remember that God insisted you go across the lake without as even as much as giving you a wink and being like, hey, Peter, you might want to grab your raincoat. God knew what was going to happen, yet he insisted on them crossing. God knew that they were going to encounter waves. God knew they were going to encounter storms. God knew they were going to encounter situations that would cause fear in them, yet he sent them still. It's so easy to fall into the trap that we think that being a Christian, being a Christ follower, means that we just have a perfect and easy life. And if we have hard times in our life, we think, what am I doing wrong? What is God doing wrong? Why am I experiencing this storm in my life right now? God didn't tell them, don't cross he said, go. He insisted on it and sent them into a storm. If you're falling into a time of storm, if you're in a storm, just came out of a storm, or maybe preparing to walk into a storm, don't let yourself fall into the trap of thinking that God doesn't care. 
because you're in a storm. He actually promises that there will be storms in your life. There will be persecution. There will be hard times. There may be even cutting of ties with people that you care about and love for the sake of the gospel. There are hard times coming. Jesus promised it. He insists on it. But he also modeled the example of what that looks like. The Christian life does not mean we will avoid storms. Christian life doesn't mean we will avoid hard times. God actually sends us into it. Yet, when he comes, he says, I am here. And so this is the root, this is the thing that I want to brought our mind to today, is that when I think about anxiety and when I think about how to process that with the Bible, how do I process fear? Because we will experience fear in our life. You get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, the natural reaction will be fear. You get a bad diagnosis or bad news from your job, your reaction will be fear. You get bad news or news that you were hoping to not hear from a family member or friend. And you probably know that sinking feeling in your stomach that you just, like you just swallowed a bowling ball. Just thick and there and you just can't, it's just fear. But what do we do with it? Where do we go from that moment of experiencing fear? And so here's the idea that I want to share with you today is that I really believe the peace of God starts with trusting God. The peace of God starts with trusting God. I'm going to say it one more time because this is super important. The peace of God begins with trusting God. The situation will be there. Hardship will be there. Fear will be there. But do you trust God or are you going to trust the circumstance? And the circumstances may very well tell you that you should be scared. We will encounter hard times. We will encounter situations that say, the world says, the logic says, you should be scared. You should be anxious over this. You should worry about this. And when we experience those things, there are ways to get past it, worldly ways. When we experience anxiety and we deal with it in a fleshly way, we say, then I just need to be stronger than this. If I amass enough wealth, I can get past this. If I have X amount on my bank account, enough people on my staff, if I have this in place, then I can feel secure. It says if I set up enough safety procedures, then I can be secure. If this bad things happen, then we do this. And if this bad thing happens, then we do this. Right, Safety John? Yeah, okay, you know what I'm talking about. And if we do this, then this, then this. And lastly, if we can't do any of those things, then we say, if I can't get away from anxiety, then I just numb it. And then enters in substance. And how do I close my mind? How do I shut it off? How do I just numb it out so I don't feel anxiety and all of a sudden I have worldly peace? If I can't have peace in my resources and I can't have peace in my contingency plans, then I can have peace by just numbing myself to the pain, to the situation.
I've experienced all of those. I've experienced going through all of those. I've also experienced the other side, knowing that that never lasts. That money comes and goes, that people come and go, and that substance comes and goes as well. And that when you wake up from that slumber and you wake up from that outputting, numbing substance, the anxiety is still there. The fear is still there. And so what do we do with that? The trust of God is the door to the peace of God. And so we see Jesus come in and we have them show this core value of discipleship. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? And that can sound kind of harsh. Like Peter got out of the boat. Like how many of us in a raging storm would actually get out of the boat? Peter got out of the boat, but yet Jesus says, you have little faith. And why does he say that? And if you look at the Greek, and again, Strong's Dictionary, I'm not going to try to pronounce this word because it'll, I'll just really tear it up. But it says, this is a faith that lacks confidence or trust too little. Jesus uses the word in various situations as a tender rebuke or corrective chiding. Undeveloped faith as opposed to outright unbelief or distrust. He's saying you were so close. Think of when you had kids, or think of when you had somebody at work you're training and they're just getting going. You make allowance for failure. Think about a time when you started something and it took practice upon practice, like riding a bike, or even good handwriting, something like that, typing, whatever. Think about a time where you failed a lot, but you got better at it. We have allowance when you're just starting to say, it's going to be okay. You were so close that time. Why did you give up? You were so close. You were almost there. You almost did it. You have little faith. Peter, you were doing it. You were walking. Why did you look down? Because the waves got really big. Because circumstance wants to take your attention off of Jesus and onto what's going on in your life. The peace of God does not make sense in a logical and worldly way. Jesus actually promises that. John 14, 27, he says, The peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Band, you can start making way forward. Church, there are going to be so many situations in our life that wants to draw our attention off of Jesus and onto the circumstance. Because the peace of God doesn't make sense. But the best mental picture I could get for this is when a kid trusts their parent no matter what. How many daring dads do I have in here? <laughs> Tim Shush. How many moms in here would say, mm, I do not leave my husband alone for unwarranted times with, with the little kids? Because if I do, they're either swinging from something, hanging from something, upside down, being thrown into the air. But how many people have ever experienced or done where you have a kid on something high and you say, jump? And they jump with childlike faith in full confidence that you will catch them. It's a sad moment when your kid starts recognizing that they actually could fall and hurt themselves. 
because the child like has full faith that the father, that the mother, that the grandparent will catch them every time. It's not even a doubt on their head. Circumstance says you definitely should not jump off the top railing or off of this stage or off of this chair or whatever. Something I used to love to do when my kids were a little bit smaller and there wasn't a bat in my basement so I could work out more, was hold them up on one hand like this. I, just love, I mean, Amy hated it, my friends hated it, but it was a great party trick, you know, just And I caught them almost every time. And so what is this trust that I'm talking about? It's a trust of saying that Jesus is here. And I love this verse in uh, da, 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 Matthew 14. Don't be afraid, verse 27. Jesus spoke to them. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Circumstance will tell you you should be scared. Anxiety is the rational thing that you should do, is worry about, the, worry about what's going to happen. Let your, mind, let your mind just travel. Stay up at night wondering what could happen, the worst case scenario. But Jesus comes into the situation. He walks into the storm and says, I am here. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I am here. Why didn't you jump? I am here. Why did you take that step of faith? I am here. I am here and I will catch you every single time. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. God is pleased with you, church, today. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the bridge back into peaceful relationship with God. And he will catch you every single time. Now, what I don't want you to hear from this is that everything will work out for you. It doesn't mean that you lost your job and you're going to wake up tomorrow with a million dollars in your bank account. It doesn't mean that the prognosis at the hospital might be what you want it to be. It might mean that, but it doesn't mean that it always works out for us because we're Christians. What we're promised with instead is Advent. Jesus is here. He is with us, and Jesus will come again. We all will receive healing. We all will receive provision. We all will receive everything. It's just a matter of which life it happens in. Does it happen in this life, or does it happen in the next life? If it doesn't happen in this life, that's a hard pill to swallow. But in enters childlike faith. Can you shift your attention off of your circumstance? and put it on God? Can you make the mental connection and the leap of faith in your heart to say, even though this doesn't make sense, I will trust God in this situation? Do not be fearful. I am here. The same words, all those about three months ago we started with back in Joshua. When Joshua took over from Moses and started leading the people, what words he said? Be of good, be of good courage, be bold, because I am with you. The same God of Moses is with you. The same God is with you today, church. 